Beyond politics and above religion, a moral authority exists known globally as the ageless wisdom. It's the study of consciousness, the mystery of awareness, which cannot be measured yet will not be denied. This podcast from Michael Benner's Wisdom of the Soul class features weekly lessons in metaphysics, mysticism, and esoteric philosophy. Those who attend live and free of charge on Zoom may also participate in group meditation and Q&A. Register for our newsletter at michaelbenner.com. Welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Michael Benner. Good morning. And welcome to the Wisdom of the Soul for, uh, what is it, January 15 of 23. Uh, pleasure being with you. I, you know, I, re- I really must say, I've been looking forward to this class and the one that I plan for next week for some time. And today we're going to talk about the Sermon on the Mount, and in particular, the Beatitudes, the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. Not from a religious point of view, but as uh, a metaphysical view of the nature of reality. And so we're going to talk about it in a whole different context, sort of a philosophical, metaphysical, rather than a religious view of the Beatitudes in particular, and the Sermon on the Mount as a whole. As I said in the newsletter, it's odd to me, always has been, how unfamiliar most Christians are with this most important aspect of uh, the New Testament, of the teachings of Christ, which really was a summary, I was going to say were a summary, works either way, of it's sort of the best of Jesus, not unlike Moses, But I'm sure you've noticed, if you are a Christian, have been a Christian, or know Christians, many of them are much more inclined to talk about Moses in the Ten Commandments, a list of do's and don'ts, than the Sermon on the Mount. It's all but ignored. And although Christ is on a small mountain, much like Moses was, This is not a list of do's and don'ts. These eight Beatitudes are an instruction manual. It's really a how-to guide. And uh, so I'm excited to do that. And then next week, we'll do the uh, Noble Eightfold Path of Buddhism, a teaching that is found in virtually all Buddhist traditions and is central. Uh, The fourth of the Four Noble Truths is the Noble Eightfold Path. Eight Beatitudes, eight steps in the uh, how-to of Buddhism as well. So then you'll be able to compare and contrast, and uh, here's a crazy idea, decide for yourself, right? After that, I'll give you a little foreshadowing into the new year, I'd like to change our focus to personal development and do a series of classes, maybe three or four, on what I think of as my Jedi training, uh, which I've done for years, for decades, privately, one-on-one, before COVID, (laughs) face-to-face, and since then, and I might add just as effectively, by uh, telephone or Zoom. 
it's more fun to sit face to face, but that's that's just not possible uh, in this COVID uh, endemic. If it's not a pandemic, it's become endemic. And I've left town. I'm my wife and I are quite remote, considering where most people live. But again, while it may not be as fun as sitting one on one with people, um, it really is effective, especially Zoom where we can see each other. And this so-called Jedi training, I call it the FLY program, Feeling Like Yourself, uh, has a series of tools, and I'd like to review them with you in this free, uh, ongoing Wisdom of the Soul class, part of the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. So let me say also, in addition to welcoming those of you who are with us live on Zoom today, uh, podcast listeners, and uh, those who watch the video on YouTube, let me just quickly stress the importance of uh, subscribing if you're on YouTube. We get limited support from YouTube until we get 500 subscribers, and I think we're about at 350. So uh, there's lots of people that are viewing this class on YouTube but not subscribing, thinking, like, what difference does it make? Well, if you subscribe, you get an email notice as soon as it's posted each new episode. But moreover, it means that YouTube is going to help promote us. And uh, it, it lifts us in keyword searches. So you always hear people say, subscribe, like, and comment. And uh, that's why uh, YouTubers want you to do that. So click that subscribe button. That helps a lot. And um, so, too, with the podcast, if you listen on Apple, you have an opportunity to drop a review, which really helps. Also, Podchaser is a player that gives you an opportunity to rate and review, and both of those really help when people do keyword searches, even on Google, but they're more likely to find us. So if you can support us that way... Um, that's great. And I also want to thank those of you who have made uh, financial contributions. That's been wonderful and really helpful in deferring the costs a long way from paying our costs, <laughs> but that's fine. Uh, if you can uh, kick even five bucks once in a while, uh, do that by going to michaelbenner.com and clicking on Zoom class or go directly to wisdomofthesoul.school. No dot com, no dot org, just wisdom of the soul dot school. And uh, send your friends there. There's a little video and intro and, and a bio, and that's where you can leave your email to get on the newsletter. So, with that, let's do our opening meditation. What do you say? The high point of the class for so many of you. So, get comfortable, sit back in your chairs, and uh, assume the position. Toward the waking state, and then three, eyes open, open your eyes now, wide awake, alert, rested, big breath, ah, stretching a little bit, maybe shaking, whatever, usually when we wake up in the morning, we don't shake it off, but it's actually sort of a nice thing to do, or stretch a little bit, come back into your body, 
as if you're wearing this body. Stamp gently on the floor with your feet. Wake yourself up. Stimulate yourself a little bit. And come into the wide awake state. All right. Let's do Sermon on the Mount. And in particular, the Beatitudes. First, I'll read through all eight. Slowly. And then we'll go back and uh, cover them one at a time. The Sermon on the Mount may be the most meaningful teaching ever given on the metaphysical nature of reality. In the Lord's Prayer, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, means as co-creators made in the image of God, that which we call God, made in the image of the energy, the power, the love, and the light that created all that is. Your worldly life reflects your consciousness. Your intentional thoughts and feelings, as in we reap what we sow, or as above, so below. So we know the Lord's Prayer from the New Testament. We've all been taught that. We've heard that we reap what we sow. You go where you look. You get what you expect. What goes around comes around. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. (laughs) Treat others as you would have them treat you, because whatever you put out, you're going to get back. Come on, over and over, we hear the same thing. In ancient Egyptian, I mean, pre-Moses, ancient Egyptian Hermetic philosophy, there was the Emerald Tablet of Hermes Mercurius Trismegistus, a truly ancient Egyptian prophet. And like Moses, he had a tablet, but it was an emerald tablet, as the legend goes. For a time, it was in the library at Alexandria, but the Romans burned that library to the ground on two different occasions. So obviously it was seen as pagan and trashed. But the second rubric, so-called, by the way, the rubric or laws were on this tablet, not engraved or carved into the emerald tablet, but in bas-relief. The, the, the commandments, if you will, the rules, the laws, stood out from the tablet and were colored red against the green-black round of the emerald tablet. It must have been striking to see. And the second rubric of that, the second law of that emerald tablet is as above, so below. As within, so without. On earth, as it is in heaven. In your mind, reflect it out into the world, don't you see? So this illusion that life has done to you is just that. In fact, it's a reflection of your attitudes, your beliefs, your intentions, your expectations, and such. Thoughts create reality. Energy follows thought. You reap what you sow on earth as it is in heaven. Okay. As the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount, the eight Beatitudes, or Beatitudes, as you probably suspect, mean blessings. You could think of them as prayers. They present a how-to manual. This is not the Ten Commandments. Don't do this, do this, but don't do this, don't do that. This is more an instruction manual. 
how you do this, a how-to manual of principles and ethics and values that summarize Christ's greatest teachings. For Christ was not a Christian any more than Buddha was a Buddhist or Muhammad was a Muslim. Christ was a mystic. And so this is not a theological system of worship or ritual or ceremony. It's not about organized religion. That's the beauty of the Sermon on the Mount and its introduction, the Beatitudes. But guidelines for driving out ignorance, which is the darkness of believing you are a separated self, a, a persona, which means mask, a, a, a personality, an ego, that part that identifies for matters of survival with the separated self. In fact, you are the awareness that exists everywhere equally present. So, these are guidelines for driving out ignorance with enlightenment. Light drives out darkness, right, without a struggle. Light vanquishes shadow by virtue of what it is, a, a, an energy. Shadow is not an energy. What is enlightenment? The realization that there's only one of us here, that all is one. Ubiquitous, everywhere equally present. And further, or said in another way, to redeem evil with goodness and become God-like rather than simply accept and obey. <laughs> That's very different, isn't it? So what, me, become God-like? Well, yeah, what's that mean? Just to be gentle and kind. If you are your enemy, if there's just one of us here, then love your enemy makes perfect sense. And people you love or people you like but don't love and people you sort of like but don't really like and then people who, God, they really irritate you and then people that disgust you when you want nothing to do with them, they're all reflections of you somehow. So to see God in others and in yourself or in yourself and others is simply to recognize the oneness of things. Now, one box of crayons has a lot of different colors in it, but those colors do not oppose each other. They do not resist each other. They present a problem only to those who insist on living in a black or white world. But they're beautiful and rich and wonderful. So, even if everyone were enlightened, we'd still all be different in form. That's the whole purpose of the one creating the multiplicity, is to know its many qualities. Viva la deference. <laughs> it's a good thing. So I was going to read these all the way through and then go back one at a time. Let's just, let's just do them one at a time. The first beatitude, and again, this is the intro to the Sermon on the Mount, is, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is a little tricky, poor in spirit. That's sort of like, blessed are those who are not very spiritual. Well, that's one interpretation, and that would be true for, how's it often said? The sun shines equally on the sinner and the saint, or God's love is unconditional, or um, all is forgiven. Once you reorient yourself and figure this stuff out, all your transgressions are, hey, that's okay. <laughs> we, You're human. We knew you'd screw it up. 
we know you'd err. What is what is a sin but to miss the mark? That's the meaning of the word. So we're all sinners. When religious people say, you're a sinner. We're all sinners. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. Yeah, okay. That doesn't mean we're bad. We get that from childhood. You're bad. And then you go to church. You're a sinner. See this guy hanging on the cross? He suffers for you. It's all your fault. And blame it on the women and the snake. Nah. We got to do better than that. It's the 21st century. So that's one way of looking at it. The way I think of poor in spirit and that they are blessed for theirs is the kingdom of heaven is voluntary simplicity. This is a rejection of materialism to live free from the desire for more than we need to uh, store your riches in heaven and not on earth. Do you know that? That biblical injunction, store your riches in heaven and not on earth where moth and rust doth not corrupt and thieves do not break through in the night. What does it mean to store your riches in heaven? What's really valuable? Money or love? I think you know the answer to that. Even a phrase for love or money. So storing riches in heaven and not on earth is to release everything that stands between you and your spiritual values to drop altogether the self-centered desire for money, property, and material superiority, that egoic, I'm better than you because I'm richer than you. Look at my house, look at my car, look at my clothes, look at my trophy wife or my wealthy, powerful husband and the country club. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of good that's going to do you. Unless you give it all away. If you can't help yourself and you're just, money is just flowing, just pass it on. The secret to prosperity is to keep, keep it moving. <laughs> okay? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Number two, blessed are they who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This is about developing empathy and compassion. What is compassion? It's taking the time, creating the space, having the love to consider the suffering of others, especially those who persecute you or seem to oppose you, to love your enemy. The way you do that, the way you forgive, is have compassion for their suffering. All right? Now, if I was a real preacher or a religious person, I probably wouldn't call people out, but uh, I feel a little more free as a lay person to call out. Actually, uh, I'll let you use your imagination. Think of the most uh, despicable people, the most disgusting and deplorable people that you know of, rich or pretending to be rich and powerful and superior cruel, racist, insensitive, megalomaniacs, and narcissists. Now think of one or two or three of those. In your life or in the public eye, do you not see their suffering? 
<laughs> Do you not see the self-imposed torment in the people that upset us the most? And then recognize how contagious that is. We pick that up. They, it's their fear. Anybody who frightens you is coming from fear. What are they afraid of? They're not afraid of us. They're afraid because they do not know themselves. All fear is fear of the unknown, and at the center of everything unknown is you. When I trained the uh, Sheriff's Academy uh, people in Orange County for a few years, they all knew situational awareness and operational awareness. What they did not have and what I attempted to train them in was self-awareness. They had been steeped in situational awareness and operational awareness, but they didn't know themselves. So they pull over some guy that rolls through a stop sign. He or she gets upset, starts yelling at them. The cop picks that up. He gets upset. He starts yelling back, but he's got six or eight weapons on his belt. Starting with the intimidation of the uniform and the badge itself, they know that. They're taught that. Trust me. <laughs> they know how intimidating they are. And then there's the ticket book and the handcuffs and the billy club and the mace and the gun and the taser. And they're even taught how to use fists. That's their job. What I was teaching them was self-awareness so that they had the option of de-escalating and stepping back and step forward if they need to to an appropriate degree, and also step back. Let me get back on topic. Empathy and compassion. Compassion is what I'm talking about. Because sorrow and what appears to be failure, adversity in life, and suffering is not a punishment. God does not punish. That's Old Testament misunderstanding from a Bronze Age when people couldn't even read or write. It's not punishment. It's motivation. It's an opportunity to seek a greater spiritual truth, loving kindness and compassion. And that's that phrase about, see, I wrote it down rather than paraphrase. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, which means justice, and all these things will be given to you as well. That's what Christ is teaching. Three, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Wow, <laughs> I love this one. This uh, is one of the most important verses in the whole, uh, the whole New Testament, the whole Bible, the whole Judeo-Christian tradition. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Two things here. What does it mean to be meek, and what does it mean to inherit the earth? Well, first of all, meek is not a weakness. It's humility. It's kindness. It's to be loving and to be gentle and to serve others. That's what it means to be meek. Think of Christ on his knees washing the servant's feet with expensive oil, not even with water, <laughs> but expensive oils, washing the servant's feet, Christ, demonstrating humility. And out of that come these other qualities, kindness, loving kindness. It's called in Buddhism, metta. It's one word. It's one thing. Loving kindness is one thing. It's a hyphenated word. 
inherit the earth means your daily bread, as I mentioned before. To inherit the earth is not just food, but, but to inherit the earth is that all your basic material needs will be met. Seek ye first the kingdom, and all, all else will be added unto you, that kind of thing. Get your head straight. Get your heart right. Stop the self-centeredness that comes out of fear. And be other-centered. Give, give, give. There's only one of us here. You give to another, you give to yourself. You reap what you sow on earth as it is in heaven. You getting the pattern here? You getting the idea? So to inherit the earth is everything you need will be given unto you. To inherit the wind. Did you ever see that movie with Spencer Tracy about the scopes monkey trial? Inherit the wind. To inherit the wind is to get nothing. To make a fool out of yourself. Something about uh, when you make trouble in your own house, you inherit the wind. So those were phrases, contrasting those phrases help. Number four of the Beatitudes, blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, which is justice, for they shall be filled. Why do you care about justice? Why do you give a damn? You can do a... a, a several meditations on that. It's like, yeah, what, what is the part of me that cares about right and wrong? My conscience. Why is it difficult for me to tolerate homelessness in the richest country in the world? That we have hundreds of billionaires, yet one in five American children is food insecure, one in six is hungry. One in six American children is hungry every day. Why, why is that not okay with you? Why do you give a damn? As long as your belly's full. <laughs> because you have a conscience. Because deep inside, each and every one of us know, especially those of you who are attracted to this class, this podcast, this YouTube video. That's why you care. That's why we care. We hunger and thirst after righteousness. We want things to be fair and just. Those who strive for justice, which is a quality of love and peace, pursue right thinking, and right thinking leads to right conduct. And when we talk about the Buddhist Noble Eightfold Path next week. We're going to be talking about right thinking and right conduct and righteousness a lot. As within, so without. As above, so below. Like begets like. Come on, all this stuff. As a man thinketh, so he is. All things work together for good for those with love in their hearts. For those who think harmonious thoughts with love in their hearts for others and themselves, give to receive what goes around comes around. You go where you look, you get what you expect. Number five, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Well, there, there's a give what you receive on earth as it is in heaven. Reap what you sow right there. Blessed are the merciful, of course you will then obtain mercy. This is all about forgiveness. To just let go of your grudges. Uh, to be merciful. 
in your judgment of self and others to love your enemy, uh, to see your enemy's fear, as I said earlier, and, and be compassionate, for we all go through this. We all suffer. We're, again, all sinners, which just means we screwed up, we missed the mark. Doesn't mean you're bad. I screwed up. <laughs> I've done it before. I'll do it again. I went unconscious. I wasn't paying attention. Forgive me. There's no one on earth that doesn't feel that many, many, many times. And again, you receive what you give because we're all one. It's just one of us here. So, of course, whatever you give, you're going to receive. You love your enemy because your enemy is you and you are the enemy. <laughs> right out of Matthew, just a little further on down the page, he says, Judge not that you be not judged. Listen to this carefully. For with however you judge, you shall be judged. And with what measure you give out, it shall be measured to you again. Well, of course, that's how it would work. So you want to judge other people? Fine, that's the standard by which you shall be judged. Not by a separated divine being, but by yourself. In the bardo state between lives, when you recap, when you recapitulate your life and choose whether to reincarnate, where to reincarnate, how to reincarnate, as who, as what, to give her another go. You know, a season of lifetimes. Like sports, you don't just play one game and call it a season. Game after game after game, and then the playoffs, and then the World Series. Number six, blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. Not with your eyeballs, for this concept we call God is not a being. I've gone on and on and on about this, probably to the point of exhausting it. Again, read the New Testament, and Christ explains, no, 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 no. God is not flesh and blood. He's spirit. It's an energy force. It's a unified energy field. You don't see the TV coming off the antenna on top of the mountain until it's received by your TV set. The radio waves, you don't see them. It's energy. You don't see energy. You don't see the wind. You see you see its effect in the trees, but you don't see the wind, right? Energy going through water creates little waves, or sometimes very big waves. You don't see the energy. You see its, its impact in the world. Einstein, energy equals mass at the speed of light squared. But the equivalence is energy equals mass. All of this stuff, this apparently solid stuff, is just energy. And that energy is consciousness. So, the pure of heart, it just means innocence. It's right intention. It's uh, good motives. And to see God is spiritual perception. Again, not the form or the figure. Not with, you know, literal material eyeballs where you see a God on a throne or a big white horse. To see God in the spiritual sense is the true nature of being above and free of form as energy. So-called heaven is a level of consciousness, don't you see? Hell is a level of consciousness. You could say the absence of awareness. So going to heaven and going to hell 
It's just shifting your awareness. Where do you go when you die? Nowhere. You're already everywhere. You're going to make of that a heaven or a hell is up to you. What do you covet? What do you want your life to be about? So heaven's right here, right now. <laughs> you don't have to wait till you die to go to heaven. All you have to do is have the eyes to see, the ears to hear, to see things as they truly are, which by the way is called vipassana, to see clearly, to see deeply, to see things as they really are. And those breath-watching meditations that we do from time to time, that's vipassana, to see things as they actually are, as energy, to see through the reflected light of what appear to be external forms, to see the sacredness in all things, the, the infinite and, and eternal presence of the one mind, of the one life, beyond the impermanence of the material world. By the way, this is the eye that becomes single. It's a reference in the New Testament. When the eye becomes single, the body is filled with light. This is the thing, single eye. This is the, the third eye, the Ajna center, the integrated self that gets it. Oh, I see. The, the third eye actually corresponds to a viewpoint from the center of the head called the cave, the middle of the brain, where you look out at a world and, and identify as the movie projector, not the movie. The movie is not being done to you when you go to a theater or sit at home and watch your big screen. It feels like the movie is being done to you, but it's actually projected from elsewhere. Seven, blessed are the uh, peacemakers. Yay, here are the peacemakers. For they should be called the children of God. Now, this, this, this is more than just being a peaceful person. A peacemaker is a mediator. And this is accomplished with prayer and meditation. What, what does a mediator do? A mediator is not one who judges who's right and wrong. A mediator is one who facilitates finding areas of agreement. So whether it's mediating, as I often find myself doing, the most difficult counseling I do is couples counseling. And usually, or quite often, each side wants me to adjudicate who's right and who's wrong. And, and fix the other one, because it's obviously the other one is the problem. What a decent counselor or mediator will do is find an area of agreement and build on that. And when you've found all the areas of agreement, then you make concessions. Are you willing to compromise and come to the 50-yard line on this if we can get your partner to compromise and come to the 50? And then you keep doing that. That's mediation. That's not you're right and you're wrong. That's way too uh, binary. So that's done with uh, meditation, prayer, deep relaxation, that alignment, that opening, creating the eyes to see, right? Um, serenity, what I often call in my own journaling, the extraordinary power of tranquility, the extraordinary power of tranquility. Uh, the peace that surpasses all understanding, the awareness of this oneness, this divinity everywhere. It's fearlessness. So where my book, Fearless Intelligence, comes about. It's the intelligence of there's nothing to fear if there's only one of us here. There's a little rhyme, do-da, do-da. 
Nothing to fear if there's only one of us here. I like that. Affirmative and invocative prayer and meditation is really the only action that changes human character. Not prayers of petition. Prayers of invocation and affirmation. That will change you, grow you, open you to the wisdom of the soul. Meditation creates an awareness of the presence of God, which is to be aware that there's only one of us here, the one life. And this is what it means, by the way, to be born again. Not just, I'm on the Jesus team, and my God is an awesome God, and if you don't agree with me and my doctrine and my ritual and my ceremony, you don't have the Lord in your life. And I will pray for you that spiritual superiority that ought to be as transparent as window glass. Have compassion for them. They're on the right track, perhaps. But there's so much more, so much more. You know, it's not that the most fundamentalist religious people are wrong. It's just there's more truth than what they may know. So often when people disagree in theology or spirituality or even politics for that matter, it's not that we have opposing views. It's just one has more truth than the other. It's not right or wrong. It's everybody's got a bit of it. It's just like going to the movie with somebody you love and you see the same movie and you leave the theater and Find out you disagree on a whole bunch of stuff. And finally, number eight, blessed are they that suffer persecution for the sake of justice. Remember, righteousness is justice. Why do you care? Blessed are they that suffer persecution for justice sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake who make fun of you, right? For uh, trying to teach this stuff. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven once you figure it out, once you see it. For so persecuted they, the prophets before you. And again, this is often called the will of God or the will to love. Um, there's no power, no grace in murderdom, but rather in harmony and peace and joy. What this eighth beatitude means that you're blessed when persecuted for cultivating right thought, righteousness, fearlessness, justice. The source of this persecution, remember, includes self-persecution, our own ego, our own faults or lower self. We're really hard on ourselves, right? Often more cruel to ourselves than to others. And this is the source of temptation. Lead us not into temptation or evil. Persecution by others would not be possible without some level of personal confusion or even worse, accepting that you merit the punishment of others, the scorn of others, and that they're judging you as bad, weak, wrong, stupid, your butt's too fat, whatever. But if you didn't buy into it, if you didn't agree with it, it wouldn't hurt. It would, it would bounce off you. No one can persecute you. 
not emotionally anyway, or spiritually, psychologically, without you buying into it. Hence, love your enemy. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. That should sound familiar. Forgive them. They just don't get it. 